Gero Nurses Tales from the Front is made possible thanks to support from the Center for Education and Research on Aging at the University of the Fraser Valley and the Gerontological Nurses Association of British Columbia. Welcome to our fourth episode. Really? Has anyone checked this? This is our fourth? Of Gero Nurses with our guest, Allison Finney. Here are your hosts, two women who believe that before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you do criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. Here are Lillian and Shelley. All right. So greetings and thank you for joining us. I am Lillian Hung, a Juro nurse, the president of TNABC. And we have Shelley here. Shelley, introduce yourself. Hi, yeah, I'm Shelly Canning. I'm also a, a Gero nurse. Um, I'm currently the president-elect of GNABC, and I am the coordinator of the Center for Education and Research on Aging at the University of the Fraser Valley, where I'm also an associate professor in nursing. So this is Gero Nurses, Tales from the Fund where we want to share inspirational and often some of the things are very innovative and unique stories, interesting experience of general nurses. So today we're really excited to have Dr. Allison Finney as our guest for this episode. Allison is a professor of nursing at UBC School of Nursing. She's an accomplished scholar in dementia research, and she's the co-founder of UBC's Center for Research on Personhood and Dementia. Allison's taught um, at the undergraduate level, gerontology nursing. She's also teaches in the master's, um, master's students in the master's in health leadership program at UBC. And she supervised many doctoral students working in aging and dementia research areas. Wow, <laughs> very important person to me and to Shelly. She is the supervisor of our PhD programs. So thank you so much for joining us and talk a little bit about your experience. As a starting place, Allison, we'd really love to hear about what's led you into Gero nursing, kind of your the beginnings of your, your journey into this area. Well, thank you so much um, for having me. This is just a true delight um, to be here with the two of you and to have a chance to share some of the story. Um, and, and yeah, and there is a story. I did not set out to be a nurse. I did not set out to be a teacher. Um, one, one story I, I've shared when, so, you know, I, I kind of came of age during the 70s and 80s. It was a time of women's liberation. And I knew I didn't want to be a nurse and I didn't want to be a teacher. I wanted to do something that women didn't do. And all these years later, here I am doing um, what women have done for many years, and I'm very proud of it. Um, when I entered, I entered nursing at the university, uh, at, at McGill University, and I hadn't done a bachelor's degree in nursing. I studied psychology, and I was really interested in how people think. I studied cognitive psych, um, but learned fairly quickly that psychology as a discipline, um, it actually didn't interest me. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't move me. I, I'm not quite sure how, how to explain that. 
but I knew it wasn't what I was uh, meant to do. But uh, a friend who had been a year ahead of me in my psychology degree um, told me when she asked me what I was going to do. And I said, I really, I really don't know. And she said, well, they have a program at McGill for uh, it's a master's program for people that aren't nurses, but who think they might like to be a nurse. So I thought, well, that sounds pretty interesting because nursing could be interesting. I could get to work with real people. It would be a good job. Nurses always have work. And moreover, I was always someone that thought I might like to do research. I was kind of curious about things. I thought, well, there could be a possibility to do research in nursing. So off I went. I did that program. It was very intense. Uh, the first year was really just getting out in practice and learning everything possible about being a nurse and then continuing that, that practice experience through a two-year master's degree while at the same time doing a bit of research and doing all the courses that you do uh, as a master's student. Um, I came out at the end of that um, with a real interest in psychiatry, with psych nursing. And so that's where my, my first job was in, was in psychiatry. And it was at a time when jobs were, were plentiful. I had three offers in Montreal. Um, and in the end, it was between two. And one was an adult psych unit that had a, a subspecialty of adolescence. And I loved adolescence. I had specialized in that in my master's program. I really thought teenagers were fascinating. The other unit had a subspecialty of geriatric psychiatry. And I had worked in a nursing home for a summer as a student. And I I'd kind of, uh, to be honest, it wasn't the passion that the teenagers were. And I think probably because I wasn't that far away from te my teenage years myself, and I'd never been an old person, so it was harder to imagine. I had liked the work in the nursing home, but it had also discouraged me. Um, as a junior nurse, I had been told that I spent too much time talking with patients. That wasn't my job. My job was to care for them. I'm using scare quotes here. Um, so I had been discouraged by my practice experience. But in the end, that was the job I took in the psych, psych unit where there was a specialty on older people. And I like to tell young students, I chose it because the head nurse, the leadership at that time, she was really excellent. And I knew I could learn something from her. And indeed I did. I worked there for a few years. Life took me away with my partner to California. Um, beds were closing. It, you know, the, it, you know, nursing often does that ebb and flow thing in terms of jobs being available. And I couldn't get a practice job. So I took up a research job in a center on aging research in San Francisco and used that um, as getting my foot in the door to go back and, and do a PhD. Because ultimately what, I, what I'd learned in those few years working in the psych unit was that we actually didn't know a blessed thing about how to care for older people with dementia. And we had six or seven people that were on the unit just waiting. They were, we didn't call it that at the time. It was alternate level of care. They were waiting to go to a nursing home, but they were hard to manage. So they gave us those patients as psych nurses. They figured we knew how to manage difficult behavior. But other than that, we knew nothing. And in the end, I've just been curious 
And I wanted to understand better about what the experience of those people, what, what it was that they were living. And if I understood that better, then maybe I'd feel more confident as a nurse knowing how to, how to provide better care. And in the end, that's what I think has, it's what got me into it. So I went um, off to the PhD and studied that. And then I've had a life um, doing research as an academic since then. I wonder that you mentioned about that you felt discouraged when you did the summer job in the nursing home. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that and what was that that discouraged you? And, and they, to that, um, you said there was a leader that had nursed that brought you into the cherry site. Can you also talk a little bit about her as well? Oh, you, you, these are the perfect questions, Lillian. Um, what discouraged me that summer? Well, um, it was, so I was a noon, I think, I think I'd had a year of experience. So I was like a brand new kind of nursing student. And this was a good job. As we all know, it's a good job for a nursing student. I was what in that province at that time still is called a resident, a resident attendant, but it's a care aide on the job trend. Um, and I was fascinated by the people that I met and the people that I was caring for, fascinated. And I was dumbfounded by how little I knew and it was the hardest job I ever had, trying to figure out who were the right people to teach me things that were, that were good, because I also saw a lot of not so good. And, and I knew that in my heart, that this wasn't the right way to treat people. And so it was hard for me um, being new in just a few short months to figure out who could I role model, who could I not. There was no I'll be honest, there wasn't really good leadership there. I, I was not aware of it. It was just the people on the floor working so hard. Um, I remember at the time being struck by, so everyone had a resident assignment. It wasn't called that. It was called a run. So what run do you have? And I thought, wow, that's telling. Because of course, you're just constantly running. And it was, as, as you know, we're all aware, these things were geographic graphically based so that it was like, what, what wing are you working? Um, I would, and I was discouraged, as I say, when this is many years ago, but one of the, when it came time for me to leave and the RN who I'd never actually met before, but had been my supervisor gave me feedback. And um, some of the feedback was that I didn't quite wear the proper clothes. And I thought that's not why I'm getting into nursing to be told that there are proper clothes. But I, I listened to that. And then when she said, um, people say that you don't, that you spend too much time talking with the residents. That's not your job. We have someone in recreation who does that. And I just, I didn't think that was right. And I also, you know, well, that's fine. You can organize your care the way you want. It wasn't what I wanted for my career. Um, I needed to be able to spend time with people. So, so asking the question the way you did, Lily, and it reminds me, you know, like you learn from everything in your life. And perhaps it was an experience like that that allowed me um, to make a good choice when the time came for that first job as a professional nurse, as a registered nurse, fresh new license, walking off to work. I knew I'd made the right choice. Um, the, that head nurse, this was back when we had head nurses. Oh, my goodness. 
Um, so it, it speaks to how leadership was organized at the time. She knew the unit. She knew the nurses that worked there. And she had great respect for education. So I'd say that was one thing. I think the other nurse did as well, but there was something like there were, it was a choice between two head nurses. And I chose the one where I felt she was more um, open to new ideas. She didn't have a set belief about what I, as a brand new nurse, could bring to her unit. She, in fact, thought that I, as someone new with a kind of different kind of educational preparation, could possibly bring something different. And she didn't know what it was, but she was willing to take a risk and to support me to do that. And indeed, she did. There were a few, there were two or three of us who kind of knew each other from our education. And she gave us opportunities. We did research on that unit. Um, there was a time when I had had a patient that I knew quite well. And we, he, it, the, the diagnosis finally, he was an older fellow with a history of a psychiatric illness. But the psychiatrist eventually figured out that at age 70, what his issue was, this tells you something about the time, his issue was organic. So there was nothing the psychiatrist could do. So this man had dementia. And the psychiatrist was saying, well, we'll just keep him here until he goes to a nursing home. And I knew that isn't what he wanted. And it certainly wasn't what his wife wanted. She wanted him home again. So this head nurse listened to me and allowed me the time. It's remarkable. It was remarkable at the time. She allowed me the space and freedom to do a home visit. When I was an inpatient nurse, that was not part of my job, the union. I don't know how she permitted me to do that, but I did that. And it was, um, it changed the, the game for that, for that family. My job was to go to assess, to see if she was able to deliver his insulin injection safely. And I learned that she could. And so we were able to say she's safe to go home and we could make that argument to the doctor. So that's, that's kind of an interesting example of those leaders who bend or break rules in just the right ways at just the right times, isn't it? Oh, yes. It was an amazing place to work. It, it really was. It was very challenging. I don't think in the end that I was cut out to be a psych nurse. I think I figured that out after a couple of years. So when the time came to, to leave, I was okay to leave, but I remember saying to her, I said, you know, I don't think I'll ever find a place that says good to work again as this. And she says, oh, you, she said, Allison, you don't find it. And she kind of laughed. She said, you create it. So research is a, a recurring thread. And I'm curious about the research you mentioned that you did on the unit there. What what were the research questions being asked at that time with what would be a really a general population? Um, so let me think. Okay, there was one, I'll, I'll share the story of one. There were a, probably a couple projects. One was more sort of scholarly research, not with, it was a, like a case study and it was around ethics and um, someone who was refusing treatment and the debate, the, the battle between the psychiatrist and the nursing staff played out in really interesting ways. And the leadership 
of the psychiatrist and the head nurse was such that they turned that into a very productive learning opportunity. And I was one of the nurses that was invited to be part of the team that presented at Grand Rounds for this big hospital about how we grappled with those ethical challenges. That was one. Um, the other project um, was not, as it wasn't specific to the older patients. It was with the, um, some of our patients that were older, um, but they weren't the people with dementia. We were interested in finding out people's experience of being physically restrained. So a really contentious topic, um, one that was very much in the nursing domain because we were the ones that would make the decisions ultimately on whether someone would be physically restrained. Um, it was a time when research ethics boards were just starting to be developed and we submitted the proposal and then were invited to speak to the ethics board to explain how it was okay. Like really, it was quite something because we were the nurses asking our patients, what was it like when we restrained you? I can't believe we did this. Um, we had thought this through. They needed to be patients that we expected would not come back. Um, and they needed to have been approved for discharge. They were just at the very end of their admission. Just It was like the last day. And, we, and the argument we made was that this was applied research. This was nurses asking patients in a, in a context where we could arguably say they were, they were safe, like they were on their way out the door, really. Um, we did, no longer had any kind of authority over them, but we were very much asking them to tell us what they thought we should know. And that argument made it, made it through ethics. It's like, we're not asking them to share what's most vulnerable. It's just, you tell us what we need to know so we can do this better for other people. And the ethics review committee thought, oh yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. And we were allowed to do it. We never published it, but we did present it and we learned interesting things. We really did. We, yeah. Well, then you got to tell us, what did the patients say? Um, we had patients who, um, so there were some you know, specific details about the how. I think we all expected that they would tell us how devastating it was. And it wasn't like that at all. There was one man, an older man, who um, had a long history of bipolar um, illness. And he explained he was an academic. So he had this way of explaining things to those of us who'd just come through school that we really got it. He explained how it helped him feel safe. Um, yeah, so that was the thing that I think surprised us as new nurses and gave strength to some of the arguments that we were making about the importance of, of protecting people in particular ways. It, you know, it remains such a contentious thing, but that's what I learned. Like sometimes you, you can be curious and you can learn things through research that you never would have expected. I didn't expect to get the stories that we did. So some pretty powerful research questions get asked in this, this area of nursing. And we're interested in in where your research has taken you now, Alison, what are the research areas you're currently working on? The kinds of questions that a couple of decades later are, are being asked, where are we? Um, 
I, I want to answer that by returning to the first question, but I don't want to spend too much time there. The first question really did come from that experience in practice, looking at people who couldn't speak to me anymore, but were clearly telling me something. Like when I could spend time with them, just in how they looked at me, how they moved, they were telling me something. So that led to that very first study, which was, well, what is this experience? Like, what is it like for people to have this happen to them? Um, and not to, there hadn't been at that time very much research looking at that. So this was in the mid, the late 90s when I did that work. Um, and for one reason or another, those questions haven't let me go. Even when there were times when I thought, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's, it's stressful. It's sometimes really sad. Um, I wanted to do something that was different. Um, but in the end, it hasn't let me go. I learned a lot um, after arriving uh, in BC and taking up a faculty position, kind of shifted the focus a bit to look at the question of not so much what is it like, but more specifically, how is it that people live a good life? Because that's one thing that I learned, that caregivers will tell us how awful this is, and it is so difficult. But people with dementia themselves were saying, telling me in various ways that they had a, a worthy life. So I explored that. And then part of what I learned through, through that work was the importance of, it all seems so um, obvious in a way, but the importance of social connection and the importance of community um, beyond just individual connections, but the broader community in which people find themselves and the importance of having that connection um, for people. So the work I'm doing now is, and it's, you know, I've been kind of carried along in forces much bigger than myself to be able to ask these questions, but looking at what is it that can happen in communities that can support people to live well at home? Because most people are not in hospital. Most people, in fact, are not even in nursing homes. They're living at home. So how can we in our communities best support them? And moreover, how can we do the work with people with dementia? So it's not just me as that person in that so-called ivory tower, asking people and then kind of telling everyone what, what they said. Um, that's how I started. That's how we did it. Um, but we're doing this work differently now. And it's hard, but finding people who have lived experience of dementia who will work with us and help us understand. And we sort of, we help each other ask the right questions. We help each other understand the answers to those questions, but really more at a community focus. So, you, Alison, you are well known for telling stories from you know, the lived experience of um, the person. And in fact, I think you are the, the really the kind of the first person that writing all these classic articles about um, the experience of people living with dementia. So I wonder, like now you're working with people with dementia and try to doing some community-based research. I wonder if you could tell us like, what are some of the challenges working with these populations or in your research, yeah. Um, oh, so many. Um, one might, and then perhaps one of the challenges is this idea that there are so many. <laughs> um, so one thing I would say is uh, the, the attitudes 
um, the just the context in which people with dementia um, are are living, um, having something happen to them that no one wants, um, being told by a primary care provider that this is what's happening. Here's some medication. Get your affairs in order, and that is not atypical. So, you know, I know because I've seen people do it that there are possibilities. Um, sometimes it takes certain kinds of people, it takes people with um, who are living in certain kinds of situations that they're able to see beyond that and to partner with research to um, create new possibilities in their community. One of the challenges is that that other story is so powerful, that this is really a sad, awful thing and you need to, it's the, you're coming to, this is the way the end of your life will be and you need to get your affairs in order. And it's, it's challenging for families to know how to make the pivot and do something different. Um, that storyline is very powerful. It's very true. Um, but there's this, there are other possibilities. So that's maybe one of the challenges. Um, I think one of the challenges that we face in the work um, has to do with how we understand what this is to begin with. You know, it's a it's a disease, and I think the challenges between the the bench scientists and the social scientists, and of course nursing, sits right in the middle. Which is, I think, maybe why I've loved it so much. Um, sits right in the middle, and we have to balance that tension. Um, so. I guess that one of the challenges in, is in practically speaking, it often means that the work that we're doing tends to be more with, because of the research methods we have, more with people in earlier stages. And people with a more advanced dementia may, I think this is still true, may not have the opportunity to, to be part of the work in, a, in the way that would be meaningful for and, and would help inform nursing practice. So, so that positioning of the nurse that, that you're describing makes me think about you as a, as a Jero nurse in that world. So how has that positioned you within the broader context of, of dementia research? What, what do you bring as a Jero nurse to that research world? Um, there I think it's actually a position of considerable power that is as yet unrealized for all kinds of good reasons. I mean, we know about the history of nursing. We know about the place of women in this world. I spoke about that earlier. Um, but understanding dementia is, for me, remains interesting because it is something ultimately about the human condition, right? And it is also ultimately, it really shows us that tension in healthcare between how we understand a disease, like Alzheimer's disease, and how we understand what it is to live with that disease, that more kind of social view. And nursing, as I said, it, it is, we do draw from both of those. And um, if you think about nursing in, as that kind of in-between place, Interestingly enough, the, the, the grand rounds about the ethical debate, 
that I mentioned earlier, that was the, an idea that came out of that, about the power of nursing as being that in-between place. In that, we, were, we felt we were in between the patient and the doctor and how we leveraged that in a, in a productive way. Um, and I, I, I do think that's, um, it's, it's, it is this, the power of nursing. I, there were, you, you spoke about the, the Center for Research on Personhood and Dementia. Some of our early years, we're an interdisciplinary group and it, that's been our superpower. And as you can well imagine, there were some real debates about the biomedical model and, and taking a more social approach. And, and at one point, I remember sitting in between, you know, a doctor and a social worker and thinking, oh my God, I feel like A, the middle child, and B, I realized, no, I actually feel like a nurse because I actually see a way through this that I don't think either of them saw in the same way. But I did see a way to bring these together. And they were more stuck in, in um, you know, you can't see me, but I've, I've got my, my hands kind of far apart here. I, I don't quite know how else to, to put that. So, wow, that's inspiring. I'm feeling like go moving up to the cloud. <laughs> that nurses can have so much power. And it's true that so much we can do and the power that we have in terms of what we can do for the populations. And thinking about today's climate, you know, there's really a call for like uh, equity, social justice, you know, and the marginalized voice. So moving forward in today's climate, do you have any... Um, wisdom or anything that you can offer for our nurses who work to, who have who are passionate about working with older adults oh it's interesting that this is the question that causes me to pause and i think it's not because i have nothing to say obviously it's because i have too much to say and I'm not sure where I would begin. Um, when I started this work, it took, I was almost done my PhD before I learned that gero nursing was at the bottom of a totem pole. I actually didn't know it. I did it because at the time people said, oh, that's interesting that you're doing that. Why? I said, well, it's a really interesting question. Um, and there's growing numbers of older people. I'll always have work. So it was curiosity and, and, and a certain practicality. Um, and it was interesting. It wasn't just curi uh, a curiosity for curiosity's sake. So it seemed like this was important and there would always be work. So there's a part, and somehow I thought we would have solved it by now. It's kind of distressing to me to see we're still asking the same questions. And it's because I wasn't very sophisticated about the politics of it. I just didn't see that. Um, so maybe to come back to your question, because you've asked it in a particular way um, that did make me think a lot of ideas. Maybe I would encourage people to not be afraid of those politics, to not be afraid of that power and to totally grab it by the horns. Is that a good way of of framing it um, and really move this forward. Um, the issues around equity are, um, are so important. I'm sitting here reading a, a three-page draft proposal of a 
thesis, a student that is really thinking about ageism. And, you know, he's kind of got the argument right. This one's different because it's the one we will all face. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I think this is something, yeah, it was, I was blind to it when I started. And I think maybe other people aren't quite so, so foolish and they see it. And so they stray away. You know, they want a powerful career. So they go where they see the easy power is. But I will, I will tell you, dare I say this? Um, as a faculty member, one of the things I have the great privilege of is being aware about what the cutting edge research is. Because I see it in our doctoral students in different fields in nursing. And those power fields, the research that's happening, the actual state of knowledge development is actually not as far as it is in general nursing. I think we've actually, as a discipline in general nursing, we've learned a great deal. Um, and one of the things that holds us back is that there are people that are not coming to this field because they think, well, there's, there's not much to be done there. And in fact, we know a whole lot about what needs to be done. And we need energetic people who want to make a change to get it done. Wow. That's exactly why people should listen to our podcast <laughs> <laughs> to learn more about, you know, all these interesting story and being curious and, you know, and there's so many innovative ideas that we can learn from experts like you, Alison. So we are so lucky to have you. And I would like to thank you for taking the time to chat with us. And I just echo what Lillian said. I'm wondering if maybe this is our time as Jero nurses. Um, so we'd like to thank everybody for taking time to listen. If uh, any of you out there can think of someone that we should chat with on an upcoming episode of Jero Nurses, just email us at lillian.hung at ubc.ca or shelly.canning at ufb.ca. So until our next episode, we hope you all stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you both. And that's the show.